Good morning, church. You can be seated this morning. Welcome to all those online. Great to have you here with us. And uh, I'm excited to get into the Word of God here this morning. Uh, If you didn't know uh, our amazing Pastor Paul, he's actually speaking in our Innisfail location uh, this morning, which is so cool to have him up there. If you didn't know, there is another Empower location in far north Queensland, which is so good. So uh, I know that he's preaching up a storm there, probably at this exact moment as well uh, there, which is so good. But um, we are currently in a series called The Greatest of these, and uh, this is actually all based around relationships. Uh, if you're in this place, I'm guessing you have at the very least one relationship, hopefully, whether it's friendship, marriage, spouse, mother, father, whatever it looks like, at least one. I hope can we all get away with one relationship? Awesome, great. We probably have a lot more than that as well. So, we as Christians. Speaking to people of faith in the room, we want to do relationships well. Uh, We don't want to do them terribly. Uh, We want to do them really, really well. Um, And that's what this series is all about. We believe that Empower Church, us as a church, we should have strong relationships. Not surface level, but deep formational and encouraging relationships that are helping us be the people that God is calling us to be. Because we are better together. Amen? Because divided we fall, but united we stand. And we hope by the end of this series that you are growing in your relationships. Hey, maybe you're going through some treacherous times in relationships. We pray that God is leading you and helping you in the Holy Spirit uh, be and have the greatest relationships that you can. So uh, as we do, I wanted to share a story. Um, I am the youth pastor here at Empower and uh, uh, we had a bunch of guys come just recently, about the end of last year, uh, to youth, a youth ministry that happens here on a Friday night. And um, I really wanted to make a great connection, great relationship with these guys. So after a 12 p.m. pack down, or 12 a.m. pack down, is it a.m. or p.m.? Who knows? A.m., I don't know. Um, I just don't. Um, after packing down, really late, all the team, we go to Maccas, but then I promised the guys in like our little life group that we're having, I was like, do you guys want to get up for sunrise to climb a mountain in Mount Coulomb? Well, not in Mount Coulomb, in Coulomb. Do you want to do that? And they're like, yes, that's going to be fantastic. I don't think I realised the cost of that. Um, 12, you know, they're all going home at like 9 p.m. You know, I'm going to 12 a.m. Uh, packing down and, you know, with the team or whatnot. But I, I, I realise and do the math. If we're going to make it for sunrise, I've got to be up at 3.30 a.m. Uh, to pick them all up. I was like, good one, Nick. That was a great idea. So uh, anyway, I, I, we do it. Anyway, I get, I get our church bus. I literally go to all of their homes. It takes an hour just to pick them all up. I get them all on the bus. It takes an hour to get to Coolum. Uh, and we're just so stoked for this sunrise. I'm just like, yep, the, the reward is going to be greater than the sacrifice. I'm excited for it. Uh, we, we, we start to climb this thing. If you've ever done, actually, raise your hands. Who's done Mount Coolum here before? Oh, Got some mountain climbers. Hey, if you ever want to go, I love doing them. Let's do it together one time. Look, building community, amen. Um, but we, we start to do Mount Coulomb, and we start to go up this thing, and it's pitch black dark. Like, you cannot see anything. Like, tripping over ourselves. We bust out our phone torches. Uh, and it's like, literally like 4, 4.30 a.m. as we're doing this. It's the middle of winter, by the way. Uh, this ain't summer. Uh, literally middle of winter. We get to the very top after some hard yakka going all the way to the top, and, uh, and we're just sitting there. And we're sitting there, 
We're like, all right, any minute now, the sunrise. I didn't think I realized because it was probably a last-minute decision when the sun actually would rise. But it took like literally 45 minutes. And we're like shivering in the dark because it gets the coldest point just before the sun rises. But church, I've got to tell you something way worse than, than the wait. Way worse than the wait. I noticed when we got to the top, there was a sign that this was already a terrible idea. There was a sign because I noticed as soon as we got to the top that on the ocean, because you can see it out from Mount Colm, you see over the ocean, I just see every cloud that has ever surfaced in mankind, including this week. This week's clouds was literally over the horizon. And I'm like, this isn't going to be a great sunrise. This is going to be the worst thing because signs of clouds at a sunrise is a sign that it's going to be the worst. But clear skies are a promise from God that you will experience a great sunrise. So I'm telling you, 45 minutes, the light came up and you didn't even see the sun. And I'm like, God, I'm serving your house. I'm a youth leader. I'm doing all these things. You told me 3.30 a.m. You told me all these things. He didn't. That was just a Nick idea. But anyway, it was probably the worst sunrise I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Terrible. Like I'm claiming it as that day was the worst day my whole life, no, not the worst day of my whole life, but the worst sunrise I've ever seen, done it many other times where it's been perfect, where the clouds are the sign that it's going to be a terrible sunrise, but the sign of a great sunrise is clear skies. You know, even when it's pitch black dark, if you get to the top, you're like, it's clear, yes, I will 100% see a great sunrise. And that's happened many times for me where I've gotten to the top, I'm like, yes, I'm so excited. As soon as it hits sunrise, I will see a great sunrise. And uh, that's the sign. And the thing is, church, is that there is also a sign that Jesus gives you and I as believers, and I'm talking to the church here this morning, He gives us a sign of those who truly will follow Him, that it will be 100%, no uh, absolute guarantee that you will know that you know that you know you are following Jesus by this sign. And it says this in John 13, 35. This is how they will know. This is the sign, like the clear skies, that you're going to have a great sunrise. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, the way that you love one another. The sign of clear skies for a sunrise is the exact same sign for the believer or the Christian that if you are a true believer in Jesus, your sign is that you love one another. Our sign is that we love one another. But the thing is, church, in this world... The word love has been so distorted. This word love, when all of us heard that word, we all filtered it through. Oh yeah, I, I love, you know, like I love my shoes and I love my food and oh yeah, I also love my wife. Um, you know, like it's filtered through so many different layers. The world has distorted where love actually in that, the world is actually lust. It's not actually what can I give to people, but it's what can I take from people. And when we hear the word love, we need to know what Jesus was actually speaking when he said, love one another. In a world that distorts love, what is the love that God is calling us to? What does it look like? And how do we know we're living the love that God has called us to and not living a counterfeit, fake love that we thought we were loving, but we weren't actually loving? And I believe today you're going to experience what Jesus says about how we can truly know the signs 
of love, the signs of surrender. And that is what my message is today. Why don't we pray as we get into his word. Lord God, I thank you, Jesus, that you are speaking to your church today. Father from heaven, would you reveal your word in such a supernatural and powerful way that we can be your church that is called to be the light bearers in the world, showing your love to everyone and anyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anyone said amen? There we go. It just means you agree, and I really want you to agree with me. Great. Um, Love is such a key within the Bible. It is actually the greatest thing. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, uh, the Apostle Paul said this, now these three things remain. Three things. He lists all these things about love. Love is kind, love is patient, all that stuff. But then he says, now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest. Someone say greatest. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. The way that he says remain, or these three things will remain, he was actually saying it in the same Greek word that when he said in John 15, you shall abide in me and I will abide in you. You will remain in love. It's almost like putting your feet in concrete before it's dry, before it's set. There we go. And you are remaining in him that nothing can take you away or get you out of that position of love. But the word love that he uses is not just any kind of love word that we could use. He uses the word in the Greek there, and you, and the greatest of these is agape. The greatest of these is agape love. And to put simply, the word agape means unconditional love. Unconditional love. How many people in your world or our world, we put conditions on love? We're like, all right, we're all good. Me and you, we're all good. And only because we're good will I love you. But we need to get rid of the conditions that we have to love people sometimes. And we need to love them all the same. And here's the deal. God mapped out how we do agape in every single relationship. Did you realize that in the Bible? We're going to see how every single relationship correlates to God and his church. It says it, or doesn't say this, but the Father and the Son is the greatest way for you to see how God deals as a parent and in singleness. Jesus went to the Father in those moments when it was pitch black dark, when he was getting up for a mountain climb, 3.30 a.m. before the disciples even woke up, and he spent time with his Father where he had this parental relationship with Jesus the Son and God the Father. If you need to know how to parent and you need to know how to to love your children, God has already modeled it for you. Jesus to his disciples was how to engage with a brother or a sister or in friendship. If we want to know how to agape love one another, we look to the model of Jesus in the Word of God that we need to be in Christian so that we can live agape love for our friendships. If you want to know how to do marriage well, look at God and his church. That God would give up his life for the bride, his church. He would sacrifice his love. But I believe this is where we really understand agape love. One, it's at the cross. I think that's quite obvious where we see that. But in Matthew 5, 41 to 42, Jesus also said this. He said, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
I'll read it again. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And then he goes on to say, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. God is calling you and I, Christian, to a second mile surrender. A second mile surrender. The sign of our love should always be not one mile, but second mile. This this story actually brings a lot to life. When you realize what Jesus meant in context, did you know that in Roman culture, in in that day when Jesus was speaking that, that it was a law by the Roman providence that they could get any Jew at any time to carry their bags one mile exactly. It was law. Imagine that, you know, you're walking in the street and, you know, someone's got some duffel bags and they're just like, you, over there, carry this one mile. And you're like, seriously, I've got to pick up the kids. It's like three o'clock. Like, I've got to go, like, I've got things to do. I've got to get the, and they're like, no, 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 it is by law. I'll go straight to jail, straight to jail if you do not do that. Crazy. It was literally like that. The Jews were forced to do that. So this is what the Jews used to do because they were sneaky. And I mean, like, you know, I would probably do the exact same thing. They would literally... And I mean literally, map out how long one mile was. If they had to take a Roman soldier's bag, they'd be like, yep, one, two, three, four, five, six, so I just 999 to And they would literally map out. And as soon as they knew, as soon as they knew, boom, and then back to town to go get the kids or go get the groceries. Like, it was literally, they mapped it out exactly. So this brings to light what Jesus was talking about. If someone forces you, even if it's forceful, it's got conditions on it, guess what? I want you to willingly go to. If someone asks you forcefully and you're like, I hate you, I disagree with you, I want you to willingly go to. You're not, you're not, uh, you don't have to do it, but you get to do it. You don't, you don't have to do that, but I'm asking you, if you want to live for me and my kingdom, you will willingly go the second mile. I, I signed up at this gym uh, place. It's literally, you may as well just call it Torture R Us. Um, it's called F, F45. Um, it's this functional fitness thing. You just, it's just terrible. Um, it's terrible in the sense that you get ripped abs. It's awesome. Um, but 45 minutes... Uh, you, you do circuit workouts, you're constantly just on the go for 45 minutes, just like high intensity stuff. And anyway, our coach is there. We were like, you know, you've got like 16 different stations. You do, you know, one movement at this station, then you go to the next one, one minute on, one minute off. And uh, as you're going around to all these things, you're like, there is nothing worse in this whole entire life than this right here. It's just terrible. It's just terrible. And, and, and we've gotten through uh, one round of it. And we're like, okay, just one more to go, one more to go. So you do it another whole time. And I was getting to the light, there was like 16 rounds. I've got to the second lap of these 16 rounds and I'm finally like, three, two, one, yes. You know, just like straight collapse to the ground. What I hadn't realized is that there was another whole round of the 16 to go. And I was like, no. No. And then Teresa, like, the person's like, all right, up Nick. And I'm like, no. Worst thing in the world. I'm telling you, after that, I quit. Literally, literally quit. No, I didn't really. No, I think I did, actually. I don't do it anymore. So there you go. I quit at one point. It got to me. It was tortures are us. Uh, but anyway, at that point, I'm letting you know that I actually, funnily enough, the next day, I felt amazing. 
I felt good. Doing fitness and constantly, and you're like, nah, Nick, I'm never gonna hit the gym until, I'm never gonna hit the gym again. I'm telling you, you will actually start to feel good after you go for some time. I'm telling you, in the moment, the second mile felt terrible, but the next day, I felt amazing. I felt good and I knew that it was for my benefit in the long run than it was for the temporary. And what I'm trying to say, church, is the hardest things to do always lead to the greatest reward. Sometimes the hardest, where you're like, they're the last person I want to love right now. That's actually the greatest reward you could do for the kingdom of God. We are called to be second mile, where you think maybe radically being a radical Christian or one of those crazy ones, That's actually the normal Christianity. Radical Christianity is normal Christianity because Jesus loves like that. I've got two really practical things of how we go second mile in our surrender, second mile in our love. Two practical signs of a Christian that follows Jesus. This is my point. Notice I didn't say a Christian. I said a Christian that follows Jesus. Position's great, but following Jesus is what you're called to. Christian that follows Jesus. Number one, we love those who hate us and disagree with us. I hope you're getting challenged this morning because heck I am. We love those who hate us and disagree with us. Matthew 5, 43, he goes on from talking about go second mile. He said, you have heard it, heard, you've heard it, you've heard that it was said. There we go, words. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So easy to say that. Another thing to do that. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Apparently they got a bad rap back then. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our second mile sign of surrender is to love those who hate us and disagree with us. Jesus says everyone loves those who love them. It's really easy to love someone who loves you. Have you ever noticed that? Really, really easy to be like, oh, we're on the same page. We get along. We like the same things. Our value systems line up. I love you. You love me. Barney reference. You ever see Barney? Yeah, yeah, great. Like everything's good. Everything's fine. But the sign of the Christian who follows Jesus is that we would love those who hate us who love those and pray for those who persecute us because legitimate children live like their father. If, we, if we're adopted into the family of God, then God is our heavenly father and we follow and model his footsteps, not our own. Not what our parents model to us but what our heavenly Father has modeled to us. We have been adopted into the family of God, so we now live to the values of that house as is modeled by the parents. In my home, when I was growing up, my mother had values that I knew that I knew if I was living in them, and I knew when I was stepping outside of them. 
There were things that I would be known as a boff. Don't worry about my last name, it just happens, boff. But it just, I would know, I would know that I was living in it because I knew that that's how my mother responded. I knew that that was the value that she carried. In the same way, if God loves the person you hate so much, as much as he loves you, we are called to love them as well. How's that for a fact? Jesus loves the person we dis- disagree with in this life, hate more in this life, and I hope hate doesn't even come out, but sometimes in our hearts, church, we do have this subtle little, I don't want to say the word hate, but it is. Hey, we have these subtle things where it's like, I know I'm not loving them the way that God is loving them. And here's the deal. God deeply and unconditionally loves the person you find annoying, finds frustrating, and simply a pain to work with. But when we operate and live from a place of unforgiveness to that person, we actually switch teams in our hearts and we start becoming rebellious children who step outside of the family of God and say, I believe in this Jesus, but I'm gonna live outside of his will and his house. We become illegitimate when we are called to be legitimate sons of God. So how do we love them? The word says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This means what we say about other people matters to God. What we say about others matters to God. Not just when you're talking to someone else about them, when you're in your room, you're like, you know, Marv from, um, what's his name? Marv and Harry from uh, Home Alone? Maybe not, okay, sorry. Apologies. But anyway, this guy with a beanie was a short little stocky guy and he was one of the robbers that was robbing Macaulay Culkin and he used to be like, <laughs> have a grumble about everything. Right, wrong audience. My, my, I'll, I'll preach it in the PM, all good. Um, but uh, he was always grumbling about someone. He always had something to say about someone. And the things that we say towards people actually matters to God. I find that our lack of love comes from gossip. That gossip is the bad fruit of a hateful heart. We wouldn't put it, oh, I don't want to say the word hate, hate's a real strong word, but no, gossip really is to gossip out at someone is actually a hatred in your heart towards them, even if it is a slice of something against them. So this is what we do. How do we love them? We speak highly of all people. Speak highly of all people. Speak highly of them to other people as well. Whether you realize it or not, our words are affecting our world that we live in. The things that you say about, hey, I'll be so real right now. The things you say about that politician, they're actually real words that are being said. You know how God created the world? He got a hammer one day and he built the earth. No, he didn't. He spoke it into existence. He spoke it. You don't think your words have power, even though when you're in your room and you're saying da 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 or you're saying this to someone, it is actually creating something. So you and I are called to love, promote people in our hearts and with our words. A common belief within society is that when we bring others down, we are lifted up. In the kingdom, it's actually countercultural. When we lift others up, we will be lifted up. You might be like, well, I don't feel good when I lift others up. I'm letting you know, just like working out at 45, it's going to be the best thing for you. The hardest thing to do is sometimes 
the, the, the best thing to do, the greatest reward. Secondly, though, the first thing, what do we want to do? We want to love those who hate or disagree with us. Maybe you're like, Nick, I have a person in my mind right now. Hey, how can you love them this week? How can you speak highly of them this week? Where you didn't, you will now. Number two, we think of others more than we think of ourselves. This one's a very hard one. Very hard one. But don't worry, we have the Holy Spirit. If we were to put your last 48 hours, your thought life, on this screen, daunting I know, 48 hours of all of your thought life, everything you've ever thought of, some of you are leaving the building now, you're like, I don't even want to consider that. 48 hours up there, I want you to split it into just two categories, thoughts of thinking of you and thoughts of thinking of others, what would have more screen time? What would have more screen time? And what I'm talking about is not like, you know, your thoughts where you're like, I've got to pick up the kids. Hey, pick up the kids. That's great, you know. But I'm talking about uh, everything outside of our needs and, and what we actually desire. Hey, when are we thinking about others in our lives? Are we thinking, thinking with our thought, are we thinking about the other? Philippians 2, 3 or 4, and I'm almost finishing. It says this, do nothing from selfish ambition. Everyone say nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests or her, but also to the interests of others. This is how we live to the higher calling Jesus is calling us to. How much are you thinking of other people? Because that's the Jesus way. When he was on that cross, he was like, I'm in so much pain. Get me off this cross. No, no, no. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. C.S. Lewis said this. Love C.S. Lewis. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. We are called to be humble people. If we could attach a simple practice to this this morning so we can actually live out as Christians that follow Jesus in this world today, I want you to ask yourself the question, this week, if we can use the next seven days as a tester for how we live out these practices, not just believe them, but live them out, I want us to ask this question, what would a humble person do in this situation? If you're in a coffee shop, what would the humble person do in this situation? If you're at the gym and someone else uh, is wanting to use that Equipment, what would a humble person do in this situation? When you're all alone and you're picking your kids up, what would a humble person do in this situation? Maybe some of the moments that we have in our lives right now, God is actually wanting to use this opportunity to reach other people. But unless our thought life first, first gets thinking of others, we won't act out of that. We must think of others First, when everyone begins gossiping about someone and you have the power to stop it, what would a humble person do? Because when we stop this church, when we stop that specific gospel, you know, some, some people are talking at work and they're talking, you know, even in church, hey, hey, even at church, we're talking in that circle. When we stop it, we're actually protecting the person over our protection to be wanting to be liked by people. You're actually putting others first. When we take the humble route, what would a humble person do in that circumstance? Sorry, let's go again. Humility must be intentional because humanity's default is self-seeking. None of this is gonna be like, 
you know, we're, we're going with the grain, we're going with the river. No, this is all countercultural, really intentional. Unless we're actually thinking about it, we won't do it. So this is why it's got to come back to the forefront. How are we thinking of others before ourselves? How can we love people with our words? How can we be kind? How can we be the difference in this society that's looking for difference? We can't make a difference if we're all just the same. We need a church, and God's looking for a church that will be, bring transformation in the individual interactions we have. But also, what happens when all of us start living that way? That starts to change workplaces. That starts to change schools. That starts to change families. Where you once gossiped about that weird uncle that you saw every three years, but now you start lifting him up. And I know you did some weird things back then, but it's okay. We can, we can speak highly about our family members, about our friends, about the people in our world. Jesus is calling you and I, the ones, and I'll be so real, the ones who want to follow Jesus, not just have the title Christian. The ones who want to follow Jesus, come on, speak highly of people. Let's have good relationships. Let's think of others before we think of ourselves. Come on, let's pray right now. Lord God, thank you, Lord, for your church. Thank you, Lord, for the call that you are calling us to. Lord, to not be self-seeking, self-righteous uh, church, but God, to be a church that is so outward focused that God, we know that every one of our needs is met because someone else is doing it for us. Because Lord, we are all in this together. I thank you, Lord, that as we go about this week, yes, I know it's hard, but God, give us the grace because today, everything we're talking about is impossible without your spirit. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit grab us again. Holy Spirit, empower us again. Lord, where there's been hurt, help us again, God. Reach out in love because Lord, this is what you're calling us to. I pray that in your church today, in Jesus' name. Amen. In this moment, if you could just remain with your eyes closed, I want to ask you a really important question. Do you know Jesus for yourself? Do you know Jesus for yourself, friend? Well, you have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. The thing is, everything that I'm talking about, having great relationships and being a sign of a Christian is not just having the title or the position, I believe I'm a Christian. No, it's following Jesus and being adopted into his family. And I wanna ask you this morning, do you know the family of God and do you know the Father? Because man, he loves you. Man, I'll tell you that as soon as you come into the family of God, you will experience some of the greatest times because you found life and purpose and meaning because he is our meaning. And today, I wanna ask you, if you don't know Jesus, you know you need to get right with God. You need to come and have a personal relationship where he's not just some odd family member that you see every three years, but he becomes your best friend and he helps you through life. Right now, if you know you need Jesus, will you just raise your hand? Come on, I know that's you, friend. Come on, you've been searching. You've been looking for all the answers. Your answer is Jesus this morning, the greatest decision you'll ever make. Is there anyone here? Come on, he sees you, knows you. He knows more about you than you'll ever know about yourself. He loves you. He designed you, fashioned you. Come on, would you come home to him this morning? Look across the room just one more time. Don't miss this moment. Do you know him this morning? Amazing. Well, Lord God, I thank you, Lord, for anyone here searching today. Lord, searching for you, needing you. I, I pray, God, be like a rock in their shoe. God, just keep uh, bringing up how good you are and how amazing you are because I know that one day they will see how good you are. Thank you, Lord. Breathe on them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Joe.